Knowing Jesus is the central issue in life. Not merely knowing about him, not simply studying about him, not just analyzing, critiquing, or debating about him, but knowing him. Hi, this is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at West Valley Christian Church. Knowing Christ personally, as he is revealed in scriptures, transforms our lives. Join us in our Jesus Up Close series as we learn from men and women who had face-to-face -face encounters with Jesus. We hope you enjoy. All right, good morning, everyone. You know, that intro music gets me every week, okay? Like, I, I don't know. Anyway, hey, so glad you guys are here. Uh, thank you for braving this rough Southern California storm, okay? Most of the country calls it drizzle, but, uh, you know, we're suffering. And if you're joining us online, no judgment of you sitting at home right now. A little bit, you know, but anyway, so glad you guys are here. Um, so many of you know, so if you don't know, my name is John Stahlberg. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Uh, most of you probably know this, but I, I, I went to school here at West Valley. Uh, and I, so I started coming to church here when I was in high school. And so what that means at this point is, man, I've been around a long time. Okay. Like when you start, like I was teasing my oldest son about this year being his 10 year high school, you know, a reunion kind of a thing. And I was like, well, he's been out of high school 10 years. Like, what does that say about you, you old timer? So anyway, been around a while. Uh, but back in 1997, uh, Christina, my wife, and Andrew uh, and I, we left West Valley to go, uh, and I was going to be the youth pastor at a church in Northridge called Northridge Christian Church. And so uh, Tim wasn't born until 1998, and so Andrew and I refer to those as the good old days in 1997. Um, and so... Anyway, so Tim and I, or Andrew and Christina and I, we went over to Northridge Christian Church, and I was a youth pastor there, and uh, you know, honestly, I didn't even really know there was a church there until I got a job over there. And, um, but the reality is, man, I met so many wonderful people at that church. It wasn't a huge church, but I just met lots of really cool people, people some people that I still uh, talk to to this day. Uh, my tax guy was an elder at Northridge Christian Church. He's still a tax guy, and he still does my taxes to this day. And so every year, I drop off my, my little tax packet, and I say, can I take you to lunch? You know, um, just a couple years ago, when my son needed a place to stay in Idaho when he was going to lineman school, uh, the chairman of the elder board at Northridge and I worked there. Him and his wife had moved to Idaho. Tim uh, didn't even rent a room from them. They just let him stay with them for the couple of months that, that he was up there. And so lots of wonderful people there. It was a wonderful time in our lives. You know, we, were, we had only been married a couple of years, and we went over there. And so the church is located at Chatsworth and Wilburn. It's up on a little bit of a hill. And one of the really cool things that they would do every year at Northridge Christian Church is on 4th of July, we would have a 4th of July barbecue. And one of the reasons why is, like, we were up on this little hill, and at the time, Right near CSUN, they would let off fireworks on 4th of July. We were in a perfect spot to see those fireworks. It was a great spot. It was also a wonderful spot. The corner of Chatsworth and Wilbur was a great place for Easter sunrise services, okay? Like the sun comes right up right there, and it was great. I thought it was a wonderful idea until the pastor told me that the youth pastor speaks at the sunrise service, and so that I needed to get there about 4.30 with him to set up chairs. Then I thought it was a bad idea. But anyway, lots of wonderful people. At this 4th of July barbecue, uh, they would always do these drawings, like these raffles and drawings for different prizes. And one of them, one of the ladies that, uh, that went to the church, she worked at the corporate office for uh, Lowry's. Okay, so if you're familiar with Lowry's, it's called Lowry's, the prime rib. Okay, 
If you go to Lowry's and get anything other than prime rib, you got issues, all right? So anyways, they had this gift certificate for two people for a meal at Lowry's. And lo and behold, that first 4th of July barbecue, the drawing is happening, they pull out a name, we win. So Christina and I are going to Lowry's for dinner, and so we get dressed up. And I, I recognize talking about food and second service is kind of dangerous. Uh, matter of fact, to be honest with you, my stomach is growling right now. Um, but anyway, we, uh, we win this certificate, we dressed up in the best clothes we got, and we head on down there, and we sit down. And we're a little bit out of place, you know. We're not dressed as nicely as everybody else that's there. Our car didn't look anywhere near as nice as everybody else that was dropping off their cars. And so our, our waitress comes over to us, and we're like, we have a gift certificate. We'll take whatever this gift certificate gets us. Like, we didn't have any money to get anything else. And, the, and luckily for us, the waitress goes, well, this gets you everything. And we're like, Great. And so anyway, so we had this meal. It was wonderful. It was a great meal. We leave. So next year, 4th of July barbecue comes around again. Sure enough, the drawing takes place. They call my name a second year in a row. I'm blown away. I'm like, oh, how lucky am I? Now, I'll be honest with you. It took me about 20 years to think to myself, was that drawing legit? It took me about 20 years to go, did they only put our name in the bag? You know, like, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. I'm going to choose to believe that we, you know, it was all on the up and up and we won a second year in a row. But so anyways, we go, we're dressed up, you know, we, we still don't have any money to, to say to us because by then we have a second child. And so we're like, okay, we sit down, we'll take whatever this gift certificate gets us. And so our waitress pretty much knew she wasn't getting rich off our tip that night, you know. And so she treated us just fine, okay? I'm not saying the waitress did anything wrong, but we were in there and we were... We were just a couple of nobodies in there for a meal. And then it happened. The general manager, the guy who's in charge of Lowry's the Prime Rib in Beverly Hills is walking through the restaurant and he makes a beeline for our table. And he sits down right next to me. Okay? Well, it turns out, oh, one of our good friends, Scott and Michelle Hansen, Michelle Hansen's father is the general manager. His name was Dick Powell. Dick loved to make fun of me. Okay, but anyway, so he walks through the restaurant, he sees us, and he sits down, and he starts talking to us, and I could only imagine what our waitress is thinking. Why is he sitting with them? What's going on here? Have I treated those people well? You know, because the reality is, we were a couple of nobodies, who all of a sudden she thought, uh-oh, maybe there's somebody, but in reality, we were just a couple of nobodies, okay? And so Christine and I, we have joked about that for years, it's funny to us, you know, but the idea of like, what was our waitress thinking as he was sitting there talking to us? And so we had another great meal the next year. We did not win the certificate, okay? I'm not complaining. But what did happen is our friend Michelle, she went to graduate school. And when she graduated from graduate school, her parents threw her a party that was held at Lowry's, all right? And so we get invited and we go in and we go through the main dining room and we go into this back room. And I don't know how many people were there. I'm going to be really honest with you. The only other person that I remember being there was Brad Lemen, and he's here today in the room. I don't remember who else was there. And the reason I remember Brad is because of this. So we're sitting there in this room, and there's a waiter who's walking around, and he's got this platter with shrimp, okay? But these things really should not have been called shrimp. They were so big, they were the biggest shrimp I'd ever seen in my life. And so I just remember going, yes, I'll have one of those. And it took him forever to get around the table. Yes, I'll have another, you know. And it was just an incredible, incredible meal. And then eventually they bring the, the little prime rib cart in, you know. 
And they're like, what, what, what size cut would you like? And I think, I, I don't know, I don't, I'm going to get this wrong, but like if the biggest cut was like a Jim Brady cut, I got the double Jim Brady cut. Like it was awesome. Okay, Brad, was that meal awesome? Yes, thank you, Brad. Thank you for verification there. Whew, I could count on Brad. So what I remember, and I, I, as far as I, I don't think either one, we didn't drink any alcohol, but I feel pretty comfortable in the idea that Brad and I had trouble walking out of the restaurant that night. Okay, because possibly we had eaten too much. Possibly we had gone a little overboard. And so I bring that up because you know what? Some of our best memories in life, some of those memorable times that we have together are time spent around a dinner table, our time spent at a meal. And it doesn't have to be anything fancy. Now, sometimes it is, and those makes it memorable, but some, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. It can just be time spent with family and friends and people you love, and people you don't get to spend enough time with. And so you just enjoy that time sitting with them and talking with them. You know, and as you read through Scripture, there are lots of stories where the setting of that story is a meal, okay? People in the Bible had to eat, all right? Jesus fed the 5,000, Jesus fed the 4,000, but there's other stories. Like one of the stories, um, on Monday night, we're doing the Bible history overview class, and Steve Benkert had the enviable task of having to go through Genesis 12 through 50, on Monday, all right? A lot of things to cover. One of my favorite stories in that section he mentioned is in Genesis chapter 43, and if you don't know the story of Joseph, read Genesis and understand the story, but Joseph had been mistreated by his brother, sold into slavery. He ends up in Egypt. He ends up in a position of power. Many years later, his brothers, because of famine, come down looking for food, and they have to come to Joseph, and they don't even, they don't even recognize that it's Joseph. And so on the second trip back, Joseph arranges a meal for them. And when he sets up this meal, he, he gives the Egyptian guy the or, their birth order. And so when they come in to sit down for this meal, they are sat in order of their birth, all 11 of them. Okay? Now that might not mean anything to you, but I read that story and I'm like, that just makes me chuckle. Like Joseph is messing with them. Okay? Like he is totally messing with his brothers like mo- anybody with siblings would possibly do. Like, he is totally messing with his brothers. And so I love that story. And today's story actually occurs at a meal as well. The story we're going to look at today occurs at a meal. The story isn't about the food. We don't know what was served, okay? But it's really about two people. One person, who's the person who set up the meal and invited Jesus into his home, and another person who kind of straggles on in, okay? Wasn't necessarily invited to the meal, but saw the gate open and helped herself to the, to, to, to the place, And so she comes in. So if you have your Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 36 through 50. If you don't have a Bible, the verses are going to be up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like a Bible, there's some Bibles on the bookshelves that are by the back door. And so go ahead and grab one of those. Even if you're grabbing it on your way out. If you don't own a Bible, you want one, grab one of those, put your name in it. The only thing I ask is if you actually read it. Okay? So grab one, put your name in it, take it home, read it. So today our passage in Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. And by the way, before I get into this passage, and I, and I uh, well, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this. I don't know if you know this about me. If you know me, you know this. I'm a bit of a whiner. Okay? All right, now my mom and my, my wife were in first service. They didn't have to agree as much as they did. Okay, but I'm a bit of a whiner. Sometimes when Pastor Rob assigns me the sermons for the, that I'm going to preach on, I whine a little bit, especially when it's them Christmas sermons. 
Like he knows I don't like Christmas sermons, yet he gives me one every year. Let me just say this. The last three weeks, I don't know about you guys, I have loved the verses that we've been looking at the last three weeks. Like they've been some great verses. John chapter 3, the story of Nicodemus. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. What a great passage. And then last week, the passage with the leper, okay? If you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I am willing, and touches them and heals them. Great passage. This is another great passage. So I guess I should, I apologize to Pastor Rob for all of my whining, okay? He's not going to hear that, but okay. Anyway, Luke chapter 7, verse 36. says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came in with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, and I love this verse, okay? Pay attention to what's going on here. This Pharisee is saying something to himself. When he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of person she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him. This guy didn't say it out loud. He thought it. And Jesus responds to the thought that this guy had. I love that. That must have been terrifying. Okay? But Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What an awesome story. Obviously, Jesus is the main character, but we have two other people that we're going to look at today. Number one is this guy who's a Pharisee, and halfway through the story, we find out that his name is Simon. And then secondly, we have this unnamed woman. We're not told her name, but we're definitely told what people think of her and what they know of her. They're two very different people. Simon is a religious leader, someone who is respected in the community. The second, the woman, is a woman who is known for her immorality. And yet they're drawn together by their common interest in Jesus and what Jesus was teaching, what Jesus was saying. And so I imagine you know, that their, their interest and their reasons for being there were a little bit different Okay, so first let's think about Simon the Pharisee here. Two weeks ago, we talked about Nicodemus. And if you remember what, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Okay, most likely he was trying to avoid the crowds. And most likely he was trying to avoid having people that he knew and cared about seeing him talk to Jesus. He's trying to keep it to himself. And yet Simon takes a totally different route here. He's like, forget that. Jesus, come to my house for dinner. Like everybody knows that Jesus is going to Simon's house for dinner. 
story is a little bit different here. He's not hiding anything. And so we can't be sure why Simon invited Jesus over to his house. There's several possible reasons for this. Number one, it's possible that Simon genuinely was interested in hearing what Jesus had to say. Like he had to have heard about Jesus. Maybe he saw what Jesus was doing. And so I imagine it's possible that he had a genuine interest in hearing the words of Jesus for himself. Secondly, it's possible that Simon was really looking out for himself. Like one of the ways that you become an important person is you surround yourself with important people. And so it's possible he was trying to invite Jesus to his home to, to like lift his own social standing in the community. I don't know. The third thing is what I think is probably the most likely. The most likely reason that Simon had Jesus over is because he was already suspicious of Jesus. And he was hoping to hear a little bit more from Jesus and find and witness something that he could hold against him, that he could you know, charge Jesus with. And we know that's what the Pharisees were thinking in their minds. In Luke chapter 6, verse 7, it tells us, it says, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Okay, so we know that they were watching Jesus. And so he was a man like Nicodemus, he was a man of power and influence, and most likely he saw Jesus as a threat to both of those things. Like, I don't know, in life, you know, we should probably give people the benefit of the doubt, and I would like to give Simon the benefit of the doubt, but I just can't. Based on what we know, I just can't give him the benefit of the doubt. But let's think about this woman for a moment, this sinful woman. As we read the Gospels, one thing stands out. As you read through the Gospels, one thing stands out. When Jesus encounters sinners... There's something amazing the way he responds to them. He doesn't respond to them the way everybody else in that society did. The hurting and the broken, those people that are down on their luck, they found hope in Jesus. Like when they got to Jesus, the people that were broken, they weren't getting lectures. They weren't getting yelled at. When they came to Jesus, they were finding hope. I think it's because when Jesus came across people that were truly repentant, truly hurting, truly downcast. And when they came with him, came to him humbly and with faith, he responded to that. Like he sees something different than the world sees. To everybody else, she was just this sinful woman. But to Jesus, she was someone special, created in the image of God. And that's the way Jesus saw her. And so this woman and her gratitude and her boldness, and she came with humility you know, I mentioned this earlier, and the passage mentions that she is known for her immorality. And we don't really know what her deal was. Most of the people, most of the commentators that I read in the last couple of weeks suggest that she was probably a prostitute. And so as she approaches Jesus, she's a broken woman, okay? She's a broken woman, and her actions, well, she, they, everybody in the presence knows, you know, what she's been about, but she knows that she's in the presence of someone special. And so she comes to Jesus. She comes to Jesus in tears, enough tears to wash his feet. Okay, I don't want you to think about this too much, but think about the last time you had a good cry. All right? Did you cry enough to wash Jesus' feet? Like, she must have been bawling. Okay? She must have been bawling in order to have enough tears to wash Jesus' feet. She also comes and she pours perfume on Jesus. And so in her humility, she is doing exactly what the host should have already done for Jesus. All right? And Jesus mentions that. 
But typically, in that time, when you had a guest come over to your house, the host would put his hand on your shoulder and give you like a kiss of peace, like welcoming you into their home. Secondly, because the roads were dirt and were dirty, when you would walk into a guest's house, they would provide water, they would wash your feet, or you could just pour the water over your feet to clean your feet from the walk on over. And then they'd also give you some kind of something to, to kind of help with the smell, some kind of an incense that they'd put on you, on your shoulder or on your head. This woman is doing all those things. Simon didn't do any of them, but this woman has done all of those things for Jesus. And and so as Simon, and I'm sure many of the others that are sitting there, they're horrified by the behavior of this woman. Like they see her, and they see they know her, and they're horrified by what she is doing with Jesus. And so Jesus tells them a story. Jesus was great at telling stories. So he tells them a story that's easy to understand, although I think they misunderstood it, And I think it would be easy for us to misunderstand it as well. So he tells them the story that two people owed money. One owed 500 denarii, 150. They both owe amount of money. But one of the key things that it says in there, like one is a lot more than the other one, but the key thing that it says in there is, you know what? Neither of them could pay it back. Like it didn't matter. 500 could have been 5,000. 50 could have been 500. It doesn't matter. If you don't have the money to pay off your debt, you don't have the money to pay off your debt. All right? They both owed a lot. They both couldn't pay it back. And so as they're listening, I think the people that were listening to Jesus and Simon himself would have listened to the story and they had immediately said, aha, we know what you're saying, Jesus. I, Simon, am the guy who owns 50. And this sinful woman, she's the one who owns 500. Like, I'm sure that is the way their brains were thinking. There's one problem with that. And you know what? When it comes to sin, that isn't how God's math works. Okay? Do you understand that? When it comes to sin, that isn't how God's math works. There aren't little sinners, and there aren't big sinners. There are just sinners. All right? There are no big sinners. There are no little sinners. There are just sinners. He only sees sinners. So it doesn't matter. If I commit one sin, and someone over here commits ten sins, and someone over here commits a hundred sins... You know what God sees? He sees three sinners. Okay? It isn't about the number. We are all sinners in need of salvation. Simon was so self-righteous, he probably thought he was okay. But the reality was he was just another sinner in need of salvation. He was just another sinner who needed his debt forgiven. I guarantee you, Simon felt superior to this woman. I guarantee you, all of the people that Simon invited felt superior to this sinful woman. And that's such an important thing for us to remember because it's so easy as Christians who have been forgiven by the grace of God to walk around like we are superior to others. And we're not. We are just people that have been forgiven. Okay, I'm not superior to the guy walking down the street right now that doesn't know Jesus. Fortunately for me, I've just come in contact with the blood of Jesus, and he's forgiven me. We are not superior. Simon thought he was so superior, and yet he wasn't, all right? That's so important for us to remember. James says it like this in James chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. It says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, your sin, or you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. This is the key verse, verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law 
and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you should not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so in that passage, we read it, it doesn't matter if it's one, ten, or a hundred sins. Sin is sin. You're guilty. We're all guilty of breaking that law. Secondly, I think in that passage reminds us, you know, we are all going to face judgment one day. And we often want justice, and we want it now. But we often want that for other people. Okay? We want justice, and we want it now, and we want it for other people. We don't necessarily want it for ourselves and our own when we're the ones that are doing the things that are wrong. And so no matter, no matter how hard we try, you know, things aren't ever going to be fair in this world. We're never going to get justice in this world. And so we, we count on and we hold on to the idea that, you know, someday God will straighten all these things out, and God will take care of all those things that are wrong. Okay? We're all going to face judgment. And the reality is, and that last part of that verse is so important, because you know what, if we want to receive mercy, then we better make sure that we're merciful to others. If we want to receive mercy, then you and I, we better make sure that we are being merciful to others. You know, and some people might hear this stuff and say, well, if one sin is the same as 10 as 100, I might as well commit 1,000, okay? And there, you may not have that logic, but there are people that think like that. Luckily for us, Paul answers that. In Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1, he says, what should we say then? Should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We who are those who have died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? Like, we've died to sin. We can't do that anymore. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And so we respond to God's mercy and to God's grace by putting to death the sin in our lives. We strive for that each day, knowing that it's a lifelong struggle. So going back to this encounter, through the examples of this, this woman, the reality is there's no hole that's too deep that God's hand can't reach into. Okay, there's no hole that's too deep that God's hand can't reach into. It doesn't matter who you've been. We can't do anything about that now. Like, here's the reality for every single one of us in this room. It doesn't matter what you've done before today. You can't fix it. You can't change it. What's happened has happened. We can only control what we do moving forward. We can only control what we're going to do moving forward to the next day. And so what matters is what God is doing with you today and what God wants to do with you tomorrow and moving forward. This week, uh, one of the commentators I read said this. He said, in sum, the proper way to study this passage is through the perspective of each character in the story. The Pharisee reveals how not to approach the question of sinners. Jesus rejects that perspective. The woman pictures a sinner who responds in faith boldly in an exemplary way. She represents the hope that sinners, even notorious ones, can find God. And then Skip Heitzig, the guy that Pastor Rob and I have been reading his book, he wrote this, and I think it's so powerful. He says, they both needed the same experience, forgiveness. Jesus loved both kinds of sinners, and like the creditor in the parable, he was willing to freely forgive them both. It was merely their barriers that differed. Now listen to this. Simon's barrier was his self-righteousness. Okay? For some of us, 
that is what is a barrier between us experiencing God's forgiveness is our own self-righteousness. Like, you ever hear people say, I don't need God, I'm a good person. None of us are good enough. Okay, none of us are ever good enough. And so, but many of us, even come, come to church, we walk around self-righteous, like I'm a good person. That's what's getting me in. That ain't getting any of us in. Okay? Simon's barrier was his self-righteousness. The woman's was her self-consciousness. She was aware of her sins. And she knew that everybody else was aware of them as well. And so I'm sure that was a barrier for her coming to Jesus. He was blinded to his need. She was blinded by her need. Simon was playing the part of the judge. She assumed the role of the guilty one under judgment. Simon, whose name meant hearing, needed the parable in order to hear God's voice calling him to forgiveness. You know, I don't know. We don't know what happened to Simon the Pharisee. We don't know what happened in his life. I hope, I hope that at some point he put his faith in Jesus. But we don't know what happened to him. But we know this woman because we know the end of the story. She came to Jesus broken and humbled. She came there maybe not even knowing what she really needed. But what she needed was grace and mercy and ultimately the forgiveness that she found. And so imagine the last verse in the passage. Imagine in Luke chapter 7, verse 50, how freeing these words must have been to her. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so the wonderful thing for us today is that offer of grace and forgiveness is still being offered by Jesus today. It wasn't a one-time amnesty for this woman. It's something that he's offering to each one of us to this very day. He is ready to offer that same grace, mercy, and forgiveness to each one of us that's here. And so today, whether you feel like Simon the Pharisee, or you feel like this unnamed woman who was a sinner, or somewhere in between, or both, the words of Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, where Jesus said this are still true. He says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus still wants to come in and share a meal with each one of us. We just have to open the door and let him in. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much. I thank you so much just for your scripture, your word that tells us how to live and how to be. Lord, I thank you for for the example of Jesus and how he dealt with sinners like us. And so I thank you for his grace and his mercy. Lord, I pray that you would help us. I, think, I pray that you would help us as followers of his. Lord, to be people that show grace and mercy to our world, who's so desperate for that message. Lord, I pray for the person that comes in here, that came in here today, feeling like that woman. I pray that they would not leave here feeling like that. I pray that they would know that you love them so much and you want so much more for them. Father, thank you for the hope that comes from you. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day. Tender mercies and your love that you've always shown me. You forget all my rebellion.